everybody. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm Willie Romano Pugh, and this is The Gods Will Not Save You, The Wire Revisited. Yes, and my name is Jakob, and this is a podcast where we will do a deep read into each and every episode of the HBO show, The Wire. Yeah, and just in case uh, you haven't heard our many pleas so far, we'll just go ahead and repeat <laughs> that. If you have anything that you can donate to our podcast, it would be greatly helpful. Uh, you can find the donate link at anchor.fm slash the gods will not save you slash support. And with that, let's get into season one, episode 11, The Hunt. We'll just get to some of the main storylines in this episode. Uh, the first being the aftermath of the uh, shooting that has uh, killed Orlando and put Kima in the hospital uh, with many of her colleagues or no one really knowing her exact uh, status at, at this moment if she's alive or dead. So, Right. A lot of tension there on the street. Yeah, we have a an emotional ripple going through the whole law enforcement side where Jimmy's blaming himself for what happened and Lieutenant Daniels is feeling guilty about putting one of his cops in the line of fire in danger because he was kind of uh, obligated to follow through on Burrell's... Uh, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, um, uh, Half baked uh, plan, or <laughs> <laughs> what is that when you call like this uh, ultimatum? Oh, okay. um, <laughs> on the opposite side of uh, the law, we see um, an equally forceful ripple uh, when they find out that th- the lady that they shot in the middle of this uh, sting operation was a cop, and she's still alive. Uh, which forces Stringer to do some soul searching and gets Weebay on the case to get rid of Little Man, which also um, makes D'Angelo like really paranoid about his stance in the whole organization. Yeah. Just a couple things before we jump up to that that part, which is a classic scene with uh, D and, and Weebay. Uh, another mention to one of Jimmy's uh well his his catchphrase or his his line the fuck did i do but i never even noticed this one it's in a completely different context it's like the fuck did i do like you know yeah. since you mentioned yeah he's feeling so such guilt and i just i found that that part uh well, it's, telling, like, the, it's or, like the one time that it's delivered not for c- comedic relief yeah. it's like he actually his his guilt is the same like his feeling about it is the same as everybody else that's around him he exactly feel like and, an outcast and uh at the hospital there's a uh, a lot going on first sighting of the police commissioner police commissioner warren frazier i i just found one thing a little interesting when well aside from frazier being uh yeah he just assumes that uh norris the white guy who's making another appearance my guy <laughs> your arch enemy <laughs> uh nah i mean he's not as bad an actor as i remember the first time i was like he's you're like you got a lot to say about him I'm like well yeah he's not a good actor first of all and you're like defending his uh honor as a as a fellow actor i guess you all regardless gotta you know solidarity so what do i know right he's not that i mean he's you know I guess, like I said, it's a, I don't know why it's personal, but we'll just run with it, right? I mean, he does have his own talk show, right? He could just be like trashing us unbeknownst. So I don't know if I want that noise with, with Ed Norris. He's you know, a pretty tough guy, regardless of all the shitty things he may have done. But um, 
Yeah, he 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 just assumes that you know Daniels uh, may, maybe it's based on race uh, couldn't be the lieutenant. So Ed Norris at least corrects him. Uh, but then uh, they have the tape of the shooting and they just pop it into a like an old school tape deck and just play it in the hospital around every like. Do what do you th- like? What is up with that? That I mean, you got the top admin of the police department just standing around a desk. In the open, I don't know. It's like for everybody to hear and to kind of like relive the trauma that they just went through. Um, and you see Jimmy like going to the to the to the trash can to throw up. And f- even uh, Rawls in this instance, like he's been such a like son of a bitch the whole time. Asshole seems like he feels sympathy for for Jimmy in this situation. That this is kind of putting him through the ringer. And I love uh, Forrester's little. <laughs> Yeah, his little freak out when he's like looking around for the tape. He's like, "Can is is the tape? Can somebody get the fuck it? Oh, there it is." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, do you think he's a fan of? Uh, well, I guess I should rephrase it. Do you think he's glad? I mean, aside from it being horrible content on the tape, I mean, what is audible of the the music? Do you think he's a fan of uh, Black Star at all, or he would be? Uh, my uh, guess Sabino would be my guess would be not just based on uh, <laughs> the general vibe he gives off. I'm not. I don't want to yeah, sound okay. <laughs> no, I can see him listening to more like uh, I don't. I don't even know like Hank Williams or something. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just because that chicken commercial Purdue, like they play that Hank Williams song over and over, which I couldn't remember. But uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, like, like, yeah, you mentioned a lot about uh, or some about the whole uh, organization of Avon and Stringer coming to terms with the fact they uh, they made a whole huge, uh, a holy, yeah, I mean, they did something that, you know, they never would plan on doing. Just, you know, you can't shoot a cop in their line of work because that'll bring, bring on too much heat. But uh, Weebay's like uh, the known you know, at this point, and we all know him from our multiple watch of the show, he's like a stone cold killer, but he is contrite. And I guess maybe it's just all business. I don't know what you think. I'll stop rambling here and let you give your take. What do you think? Is it, is it like an actual feeling or? Yeah, I feel like it's probably just like only having to do with maintaining the secrecy and the safety of the organization that he's part of. I mean, like they made the mistake or little man, I guess, made the mistake of throwing that slice orange soda can on the floor right outside of the payphone after they do the whole shooting. And like, they're really careless about stuff like that that could easily get them caught up. So I think WeeBay overall is just having like a huge moment not of about like anything that has to do with getting Kima killed. Although he did like say like, Oh, you know, I was thinking of letting her walk, but little man just kind of went haywire or whatever. But, um, yeah, I think his, his main concern is like not getting in trouble with the big boys. <laughs> but, uh, okay. Pretty big issue. Uh, and, and the, well, at this point we don't know if it's, you know, how big it's going to be. Avon's questioning Stringer's decision making, how he would uh, believe that someone like Orlando could front 30 grand for this type of buy. And why, my question is why, well, first of all, yeah, why would Stringer, who's so cautious and meticulous and just about everything, be duped by Orlando? But why wouldn't he go uh, go to Avon? I mean, it's kind of like that time maybe you uh, went went to 
to Fiverr for some production help and never told me about it. No? <laughs> Am I off base? <laughs> oh, man. No, seriously, though, why? <laughs> Making it personal. No, no. The prison I mean, never got like, back to you me. Know what? <laughs> we didn't get yeah, implicated know, exactly. in a murder, all right? Yeah. <laughs> or attempted. Um, you never know. Yeah, I know, I know. I, yeah, like, I mean, th- this is like the first time throughout the whole show where we see kind of like a break in Stringer's confidence, right? Like he's genuinely uh, apologetic yeah. about the whole situation. You feel You feel like it's off character for him to have a lapse in judgment as big as that? I mean, yes, but also why? Why wouldn't you talk to your business partner who's, you know, more or less in charge of, you know, a lot, especially on, yeah, I mean, they're, they're partners, but you know, Avon's kind of like an alpha in a lot of ways too, I think. Yeah. But yeah, it's pretty crazy. 30 grand. I mean, that's, yeah. And it's like, I mean, they both, maybe it's like Avon just is a lot uh, better at determining how dumb certain people are. And he's like, Orlando is just no. And uh, strain gave him the benefit of the doubt, which is weird. So it's just, you know, someone who's so razor sharp would trust Orlando of all people. It's weird. But yeah. Yeah. And I love the little scene that they of uh, Stringer kind of chewing out Weebay in the coffee shop where he like has kind of like an outburst. He's like slamming on the counter or something, talking about how little man is weak. And then like with almost just like this really calm demeanor he's just like little man's gotta go <laughs> like, he has like his moments where he can show his fury but at the end of the day he knows he has to like maintain a sense of calm to like get really horrible stuff done and you know not even like think twice about it and kind of move on from all of it yeah um yeah we're gonna see a great one kind of like d'angelo shut your mouth so well, even in this, in, this the, in the in the scene in this episode when he's uh, telling D'Angelo to go with Weebay and D'Angelo, you know, hearing things through the grapevine about the shooting and, uh, you know, how little man has disappeared. And he like takes a moment to like ask, like, why, why am I going with Weebay? And Stringer is just like, what the fuck are you waiting for? <laughs> like not trying to waste any time, any more time when the situation is so tense and they know that like the cops are kind of closing in on them. Yeah. Um, that whole scene's classic. Um, but I want to go back to Bodie's quote when he says to D'Angelo in the pit, you moving up in the world just as long as you don't fall in with the trash they're taking out. And I, I guess I totally, uh, I missed that. So uh, I was always wondering like, man, okay, I'd be scared too, you know, in this context or dealing with WeeBay like this, but, I totally, uh, you know, I guess it dawned on me. God damn it. Totally, totally, totally. Uh, anyway, I understand why, you know, D'Angelo is uh, really concerned there. It's not just because he's driving some dark alley and being led into a dark house with, uh, you know, mass murder of sorts. So brilliant stuff there. Well, you want to talk about bubbles at all? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, I feel really uh, bad for him because he gets beaten up uh, as a suspect, more or less um, because of what happened to Kima. But in reality, he was just trying to uh, communicate with her so he can get an update on like the support that she'd be providing him on his path to sobriety. And I, I feel like I've talked about before, like how the strength of this show uh 
really comes through in like miscommunications between characters or like certain information that's not revealed. And I feel like this whole episode is about like Bub's like having a miscommunication with the world because when he reaches out to Kima, you know, it's for his own benefit and like he's actually trying to do something good and he gets beaten up for it. So then McNulty comes in and tries to like straighten things out and uh, McNulty like, you know, in his kind of like narcissistic perception of the world only sees him really like as an asset or an informant. So he's instead of like, you know, keeping him away from his addictions and like these things that are endangering his life, he's like throwing him 20 bucks and telling him to get back at it so he can be like an informant in what's going on. Totally like, you know, looking over the whole personal struggle that he's going through with his drug addiction. So yeah, Bubs continues to break our heart more so in this episode than I feel like in the past. Yeah, it's definitely tough to watch. And yeah, just uh, commenting on your great point there that you would you would think that uh, someone who's had bubbles around his estranged wife, but, you know, wife who he claimed recently to still be in love with or love and his two young sons that he would maybe uh, lend a bit more humanity to bubbles. But yeah, like it just shows how far, as you mentioned, you know, his narcissistic tendencies can can run or can uh, take him. But I have just a, maybe a technical question. You know, those are my least favorite kind, right? But uh, how how did they get such a precise and timely track to that payphone or trace? Yeah, I don't based know. on Be- Bubbles' call to the beeper. I mean, I know they obviously have wire capabilities, but that's just a random payphone or the one near, I guess, Bubbles' sister's house. Uh, so I don't know how, how, how do they know exactly where to go? Yeah. I'm not sure about that. Um, I wish I had an answer for you because I don't like leaving these things unanswered. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll get to the bottom of it. We, we only have like what? 49 uh, more episodes. Yeah. 49. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, but even though he's given that money, he holds out. I guess one can assume that when he goes down to the pit to go uh, kind of back into the world of, you know, informing on the uh, organization, now the stake's even probably higher than when he was initially doing it when, his, you know, Johnny got hurt. He, I mean, he doesn't buy, I thought, oh yeah, this is it. You know, this is where he breaks his uh, sobriety, but he holds out to the end of the episode. Yet still no one no one cares uh yeah even like he there's a second time where he's trying to like appeal to mcnulty's uh you know compassionate side but it's in the middle of them like perf- you know preparing for a raid so his needs are totally looked over again you know one thing after another so as a result of uh <clears throat> the aftermath of the shooting Lester shows up and immediately tells uh, Carver and Sidner to get to work. And, you know, they put in all this uh, investigative work of, you know, staying on the towers. And somehow Lester Freeman gets uh, back to the payphone where Weebay informed uh, Stringer that the, the shooting was done and over with and picks up the slice orange soda can that implicates Little Man. It uh, shocks everybody when uh, 
Ed Norris and Jay Lansman find out that he was such he did such good detective work that he's been stuck in the pawn shop unit all this time. That's just kind of mess with them at that point, right? Because I mean, then the thirteen years, four months wouldn't necessarily apply if he was still technically or is he still technically involved and on paper he's pawn shopping it. I don't think so. Yeah, probably, right? Because he's just assigned yeah. to this oh. for the for okay, this so like duration still, of time. Okay, so maybe we can add to the uh IMDb goofs or whatever because technically it might not be 13 years four months if this is like five month five or you know <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah that's uh funny also like another way right that's Simon spun or Burns spun and Ed Norris as well right uh, kind of looping them into these type of interactions where it's like always a situation where they're you know, shading the department and its deficiencies. Um, so they do end up, uh, but a lot of them do end up uh, going on a raid. And uh, um, so they get they get some like dope on the table uh, for the evening news so they can like kind of like, you know, sidestep the real problem that's going on uh, with like all the murders piling up. And it just um, is showing the people, you know, okay, we might like have all these drugs, but it's making the organization realize that they're being watched and it uh, kind of like makes them tighten things up. So it's really just like a temporary band-aid for a much larger problem that's going on. Daniel's is not a please with the dope on the damn table. But uh, Jimmy's on the Jamie. I was going to... <laughs> I mean, I know you're probably a fan. You are a fan of True Detective, right? I was going to, at least, you know, I know you're a huge fan of season two, but season one is probably my favorite. But, uh, um, <laughs> like, who who do you think, who do you think does the Jamie, you know, uh, better in a better meaning more destructive manner? I mean, because every time I now, I would see, you know, Rust Cole, right? Oh, Matthew uh, McConaughey. Yeah, like he has his war chest when shit's really going down and he busts out the Jamie. <laughs> and it, it always made me think of Jimmy. But he's like, you know, Jimmy's not preparing to go into the bayou with like white supremacist uh, guys about to, like Jimmy's not pre- preparing to go like with a bunch of racist Omars to rob some drug dealers. So um, I don't know. It's a silly comparison, but. Daniels is like, no, I already dealt with one alcoholic in this uh, detail, and he checked himself into rehab, so put that away. But uh, we have another, we have an appearance at the end, right? Uh, I know we talked a little about the bust on the stash, but before, right, they uh, get a visitor. Is that is that Bobby Reed again, or am I am I mistaken there? Where it's like he gives him a bullshit line to rival uh, Daniels. <laughs> You can you can jump in here at any moment with the bullshit. This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not how he said it. That's not really how he said it. You need a new desk. <laughs> but yeah. How does um, it, yeah, so I mean we could rerun that, but I hope you leave that in, but Lance Lance is coming for your ass if that's what you <laughs> He's like, I'm giving my Monday morning talk here uh, before I go on my long walk. There was some guy on this stupid podcast trying to make fun of my my voice. Uh, 
Yeah, and then he'll he'll say his line in response to your impression. Yeah, someone comes. To, is that Bobby Reed though, or am I tripping tripping out? I think it was him because he's always kind of in the room when uh, Daniels is getting admonished for going like coloring outside of the lines when uh, Burrell's giving him strict uh, things to abide by in the detail, right? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm just. Uh, this is bullshit. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? Oh, man. But yeah, I thought I was getting serious corruption uh, vibes there. Like, oh, wait, did they bust Daniels sooner than I remember? But obviously it's about them. Well, he's he's withholding information on the stash or he doesn't want to pull the trigger. And then uh, that leads to Freeman kind of theorizing that uh, somebody in the detail is ratting out to uh, to the higher ups about what's going on with them, and uh, the kind of insurgent little thing they're they're running there. We do get to see. I just want to mention uh, we get to see like after that whole hubbub around like it was one or two episodes ago. About how Hurricane Carver did not steal anything from the raid. Yeah, and yeah. And then they they go on this raid, and then um they like flip over a mattress and find a pile of money. And you'd think that they'd be more cautious about what happened beforehand with you know money disappearing under a wheel well and them getting kind of like chewed out for possibly stealing stuff. But they just give like each other a knowing look before each taking a handful of money and packing it into their vests. Just man, that when gun tracing, gun tracing, baby, gun trace task force, uh, prequel predecessor or whatever. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's probably how they get started. But I'm listening to the audiobook of uh, We Got a Monster about the gun trace task force. Pretty crazy stuff. My platform that I subscribe to only has that available. I probably want to read it too, but I mean, you know, this is small, small time, small penis compared to what, what Wayne Jenkins, I would compare Herc to Wayne Jenkins, but then I'd be like, that's no, there's no, no comparison, but uh, there is some corruption going on though. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I would have, yeah, exactly. It's so it's like, you know, when you're a kid or something and you're like thinking about like, oh, should I take that extra, like cup of soda like my parents probably won't notice and then you know you go back to the fridge and you're like well i didn't do it last week so now it's okay to steal it right now it's okay to take it because my it's like thoughts no exactly. yeah oh wow yeah um that's great yeah and uh it's like no one will notice this time right because like they almost like i was telling the truth last time they didn't right. catch me but i always was wondering like what's up with that you put it behind your vest. I mean, I've never obviously worn one of those, but my whole thing is just like, yeah, it's going to fall out as soon as you like get in the car or someone can just like San, like Santangelo is pretty small or someone like short might just have that view from the side of like, right, right behind you, like yeah. right in between your chest and the, it's not so. a foolproof plan that they're going through there. I tell you what, um, yeah, they. I tell they, you what, <laughs> those those two guys make a lot of boneheaded mistakes in this. Uh, maybe the first couple seasons before. Uh, I mean, Carver like truly evolves into like kind of a respectable, you know, respectable higher up or respectable image. Yeah, I mean, he makes some pretty big mistakes while I guess trying to do the right thing. So that's different. But yeah, this is just pretty dumb. But. Uh, 
I guess after what happened to their colleague, they're kind of thinking about, I don't know. I don't know if do they have families. I don't think so. Right. But uh, they're thinking about, well, you know, we could get shot or whatever. So let's just get it while we can get it while the getting's good. And that's probably the easiest situation they'll, they'll come into. But the amount of stuff in that stash house, it's crazy. It's like, what? I mean, I guess that's what, you know, that's the stash house, but man, a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of money, guns and drugs. Yeah. But why? I mean, I guess they have so much product that they could risk having that much at any given time, but it seems risky, but you know, they're screwed now. Um, I mean, we get, we get, uh, some good emphasis on, uh, Cheryl in this episode, oh, yeah. Kima's girlfriend. Great acting. Yeah. We see, um, but Melanie Nichols King who plays Cheryl has a really great scene where she's just sitting there crying on the couch at uh, Kima's absence while listening to some Nina Simone. And she reaches out and touches that little ink stain that Kima made on the couch when she was studying for law school, which I don't did. I mean, it's really powerful scene uh, that shows like, you know, oh, like even the things that annoy me about her, I'm really missing right now. And, you know, it just communicates it very powerfully without any dialogue. But then it made me realize, oh, like, yeah, the the highlighter on the couch. But we don't. It's highlighting their relationship. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Yeah. Man, you're breaking it wide open here. Thanks, Yakim. Um, We haven't even gotten to the conspiracies, so be excited, everyone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah did like, Kima just completely stopped going to law school at this point? Oh, well, we had talked, I think, as late as episode four about like they, you know, it was pretty heavily featured, and we had talked a great deal about certain cases and like that got edited out, probably thankfully. But, um, yeah, maybe we, we were kind of, you know, throwing, throwing some or spitballing about like why. Why is this such a prominent plot line at this juncture? And maybe it was all to just set set up a moment like this. Or I mean, you would think that it would, if if that's what they're intending, though, they would have a way more. Uh, you know, I mean, there's so many other examples of like a, a loving relationship that you could have called back upon. Like aside from a, a highlighter on a stain on the couch, right? Or is that like? their their idea of like oh, we got to keep things really subtle you know as far as that that type of thing goes but yeah i mean it just uh, communicates so much like just with that small simple gesture i thought it was really effective yeah, really great performance by by melanie nichols king and like you said and uh how she was treated at the hospital <laughs> kind of touching on some themes that we had spoken about. I was like when their relationship was more prominently featured early on in season one about, you know, the nature of a lesbian relationship at this moment in time and how the, yeah, depth, the, uh, yeah. Who, yeah. Forrester or who's there is like, Oh, she like, I mean, that was Burrell, right? Yeah. Like, Oh, she has a, she has a daughter. She has a girl, you know, cause Carver and Daniels obviously know about her personal life, but it's like, no. Uh, and then she just gets called a roommate. It may be because like they're protective of them, like figuring out what the nature of their, their real relationship is and might want to hide it from Burrell. So I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. But it's like, I, I was there a policy? Like, is it just due to her personal, you know, what, what people think of her personally or is there actual like policy that, that could 
like affect her uh, standing as a cop. I mean, uh, I just figured nothing official could, but yeah. we all know like the reputation discrimination of you know uh, what uh, sexuality based discrimination runs rampant in all industries. Especially, yeah, I mean, so. especially, I mean, we're living in kind of like a new era in the wake of like gay marriage being legalized across the country. But like, I feel like even in 2002, seeing this, uh, a lot of people would probably still have problems with seeing like a gay cop on screen. I don't know. Maybe I'm not giving the world enough credit. I hope that whoever did uh, had just like skipped to this episode and not seen like Omar or anything like, oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Ted, you turn that off. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> that's your in, that's oh none. <laughs> yeah, let's try. What what is it? Yeah, that's, that's your, my uh, that's your Wichita, imitation. Kansas, uh, yeah. <laughs> your imitation of Middle America watching The Wire or suburban. Yeah, it could be like it could be like you know Middle of Oregon, but I don't know how they deal, you know. But you know, uh, or Bam? No, was it or? Uh, it could be in a Fontana or Fontucky, as they called it. Someone called it. But that's like, you know, that's a boomer making those jokes. It's obviously a lot different. So no offense to Fontana, California. Anyways. <laughs> um, I do. Uh, yeah. And then, um, yeah. yeah. We do get the whole, uh, what is it, like deposition with Savino Bratton, where like McNulty oh, kind yeah, of strong, a, McNulty yeah. kind of strong arms Levy into getting Savino uh, arrested and so they could charge him. Um, and they go through like this whole shit show legalese where Levy's able to like work his magic and only get him off with a three year charge. And McNulty says, nicely done to Levy at the end of the whole scene. Which, um, you know, is a repeated line that he says to his rivals when they kind of like outsmart him in these legal battles. He said that to Stringer and we might hear, yeah, and we're going to hear Stringer say it to him again in uh, the end of the season. So nice nice little pick up there. Yeah. Nice little uh, um, recurring line there. Yeah, that I just wanted uh, to call attention to real quick. What, uh, what what I was going to say was I noticed it's, it's a small detail. I don't know if I incorrectly referred to Ronnie Perlman as the state's attorney when I think she mentioned in the, her argument with Jimmy that pretty much seems like it se- seals the fate of you know their relationship, whatever they called uh, you know what was going on between them. Uh, that she's an ASA or am I incorrect there where she's like, Hey, stop shitting on Levy. He's has wields power with the bar and I don't want to be in this position forever. So I think she's the assistant state's attorney. And then the lady who was there, uh, like Liz, I think is the real, like she's the state's attorney. So man, Hey, notice something new each, each, each one of these episodes. Yeah. And it's like hard. I mean, each time I see something like that I've missed for all these years. It's like really hard to get back in the, you know, in the chair, so to speak, to do the work for our next recording. It's like really makes me question everything. Are you stressed out about it? Are you okay? Yeah. It's just like, how could I, (laughs) how could I feel? Oh man. So, so confident in my knowledge of the show when I can't even get Ronnie Perlman's, uh, you know, her title straight. So, yeah, I mean, you but also it, bear some blame by not correcting me. So, I mean, this speaks yeah, to where is. you're at, your character. Yeah, so. I kind of just threw you under the bus by omission, so to speak, by or 
by choosing not to say anything, you know, I, I threw you over the, the bridge yeah. or, you know, I threw and you into the water. You tried to, uh, Bodhi Johnny me. Yeah. Throw me <laughs> on the ex- you tried to throw me on the expressway. Yeah. Uh, or at least figuratively. So let's get into, uh, the first segment that we have on the docket, Wire Universe. And if you want to, oh yeah, yeah, we got. Uh, I love the first time we're piloting this this new format. There's uh, literally like, I mean, there's always callbacks or things I probably miss. Anyways, yeah, just uh, Wire Universe mainly focusing on callbacks that inspired certain certain uh, themes or people events in, in the show. Uh, all I really got is. Vernon Holly, who makes probably his most prominent uh, appearance thus far, played by uh, Brian Anthony Wilson or Brian Wilson, uh, the actor. But yeah, so he's uh, someone who's investigated and uh, yeah, uh, Brandon's uh, homicide with Ed Norris and previously, and now he's uh, involved in yeah this investigation surrounding uh surrounding the investigations rather surrounding Kima's uh yeah, the sh- the shooting and and Orlando's death so he beats up bubbles uh pretty badly being a real jerk about it uh obviously de-escalation not something in his repertoire at this point in time everyone's nerves are yeah heightened but and by the way, Vernon Hawley was a real homicide detective. That's my whole spiel here. Sorry if I was misleading anyone or you, Willie. You're like, all right, get to the goddamn point. Like, how's this wire universe? I just wanted to get off. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Vernon Hawley being a huge jerk, being up the so- sober, and uh, I mean, t- yeah, it's just you know bullying bubbles basically for a misunderstanding. So that's messed up, of course. But uh, yeah, he was a homicide detective that kind of got a call up because another detective named Fred Cerruti, who was chronicled by David Simon in his book, Homicide, A Year on the Killing Streets, that I probably referenced uh, too much here already. Uh, Yeah, he got demoted due to a low clearance rate and basically called up Vernon Hawley. So he, uh, you know, I guess they didn't feel he was a big enough player in, in the wire, the real wire universe to get his name mangled up or mashed up by David Simon. So like I've said before, his whole spiel, David Simon's take, like, oh, I love to mangle up the name. So that way, you know, it kind of gives this uh, authentic feel, but creates a distance for those who are really involved in all these events. It's like for certain people, it doesn't apply. Yeah, he uses, uh, he does this with uh John Bailey, who's a real stick-up artist, and Vernon Hawley, um, and I'm sure there's others that I'm missing out on, but uh, kind of interesting take. Again, yeah, so, again, funny that uh, in this episode where there isn't much callback to the historical uh, inspirations, this is the first pilot of this uh, little Wire Universe segment, so everyone stay tuned. You know, if you've listened, we always got plenty of good stuff, but again, I probably played, uh, I showed my cards a little too early on the whole historical references to this, uh, the culmination of, you know, Orlando's bad drug deal or his, yeah, what landed him in jail and then the shooting that kind of inspired what I believe to be 
a tragedy behind Kima getting getting lit up by Bay and Little Man. But hey, you know, tune into episode 10 for all of that good stuff. So we got great stuff here for our next little breakdown segment, right? Yeah, let's move into All the Pieces Matter. And that's where we're going to just kind of like go into all the filmic stuff that goes on with each episode, little um, tidbits about the cast and crew, little pieces of trivia that we can bring to light. Um, And just uh, (laughs) to start off, I wanted to do maybe a dramatic reading (laughs) of a a goof that's, it's like a kind of like a passive aggressive, uh, mistake that somebody pointed out in imdb's factual error section so yeah um yeah you shared this with me previously it's pretty bizarre it is kind of bizarre that someone like went to the to the length they did to like talk about this and kind of like insult weebay's intelligence i don't know um but for those who don't know uh there's a section in imdb the internet movie database for each you know television episode or movie called goofs where they kind of um, talk about continuity errors or uh, factual errors um this also has like something about uh dominic west's uh british accent coming out in one scene (laughs) so just like any mistakes that the cast and crew have made this is the section for it and um this is in reference to the scene where Weebay is taking D'Angelo on a road trip and D'Angelo thinks he's going to get assassinated uh, by Weebay, but he gets taken into like a bizarre room filled with all these, you know, kitschy fish tanks that uh, Weebay is assigning D'Angelo to take care. Like he's assigning D'Angelo to take care of his fish while he's gone on this mission. Um, really like great intense scene. Um, with lots of suspense built in with like a really like kind of like hilarious, uh, unexpected punchline, um, that kind of like goes against the irony of like the whole sleeping with the fishes, uh, (laughs) saying that like you hear a lot in gangster movies, but anyway, so this, uh, factual air is in reference to that scene. When Bay teaches D to look after his many large (laughs) tropical fish tanks, he points out his tetras. He then gives them names and describes their romantic attachments. The fish in the tank look nothing like tetras. They are three-spot gouramis. Make gouramis go after the females fattest with the most eggs. They not in the least monogamous. I'm I'm deciding to uh, keep in all the grammatical errors and all that. Uh, it is not an error, but base tanks have kitschy ceramic sleeping beauty castles in them. The rest of the equipment looks advanced and high tech. It jars that he seems to be crossed between a seven-year-old girl and a professional <laughs> aquarist. But then I have no idea what Thugs' aquariums look like in reality. Perhaps the idea is to show what an adult with a seven-year-old mind would create with thousands of dollars to spend. So yeah, somebody really with a chip on their shoulder about uh, (laughs) Weebae's fish-carrying tendencies, I guess you could say. A uh, really bizarre thing that I just wanted to share with all of you. So there's that. There's some like frustrated Petco employee just <laughs> yeah. binging it in the back at work. Like, God damn, <laughs> like a fucking seven year old. Uh, yeah, that's, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, hey, all news to me. I don't know anything about tetras or like what aren't tetras. So I'm glad uh, you brought that up, even though you know, pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty bizarre and weird. The this episode's director Steve Schill. He is uh, actually from England. And he started out doing a lot of uh, theater. Um, he did a lot of like experimental theater. And then he worked with the BBC uh, for a long time on EastEnders, Emmerdale, Casualty and the Bill, like all really famous uh, BBC staples. <clears throat> um, he's done a lot of like other stuff with Law and Order, The Sopranos, Rome, uh, Big wow. Love. So, yeah. Has, I don't know if he has any credits uh, doing like any notable feature films that like I like to talk about. But yeah, he's he's worked on Dexter a lot. So he's he's kind of like a TV veteran. So it's really cool that he was just bringing his expertise to this. Um, and he's done he's, he's done four episodes of The Wire. So um, and you had mentioned the like awkward conversation that uh police commissioner Frazier has with Ed Norris and Lieutenant Daniels earlier on in the episode. And then, you know, later on we see him doing that shameful photo opportunity where they present all the drugs on a table in order to kind of like ease the public's mind. A really sad thing about the actor who plays the police commissioner, Dick Stilwell, this was actually his last acting appearance before he tragically died just a few months what? after this in like a fatal car accident in Los Angeles. That's crazy. When? So like 2002 then, right? His or? death was November 23rd, 2002. Yeah. And this wow. episode aired in August of 2002. So rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah. I, what, uh, I'm, I'm curious what? to see like some of the other stuff he's been in. Um, it seems like I mean he was in like Ellie Confidential, Forrest Gump, The Pelican Brief. He didn't really have like a lot of credits to his name. Um he was like a war veteran. He's he let's see, he served um he was a career US Army officer from nineteen sixty five to nineteen eighty five before he began his acting career. He served two doors in Vietnam as a rifle company commander. He had he earned a silver star and a purple heart. Um, that's sad. That's just, it is really sad. Uh, he's only 59. What? 59? Yeah, when he oh, died. Damn. damn, LA car crashes. That's why I logged, I signed out of my citizen app finally. Literally, like two days ago, there was within two miles or like three crazy car accidents all like simultaneously. It's bizarre. That's crazy. Um, I did want to point out a couple like stylistic things. Uh, oh yeah! Just because like I always want to like give a shout out to my mentor Erland Lavik. He really laid the groundwork <laughs> for me, kind of like uh, keeping an eye out for these things. Yeah, but the very respect. the the very beginning of this episode is kind of like the trademark. Uh, you know, documentary style, looking around frantically, trying to like find out where the action is. Like we're dropped right into the middle of the scene of the crime where Kima was shot. And it seems like the camera is almost just kind of like wandering through like all the chaos with multiple bodies on the scene, trying to like get the information. And it's like wildly whipping around everywhere. And it kind of, I mean, like, I know we're, everybody in this country is going through, like, a really hard time right now, kind of trying to process, like, 
every, you know, everything that's going on with, you know, police brutality and citizens unrest. Um, but the way this was kind of filmed felt like it was kind of, uh, ahead of the game, so to speak, in the sense that like, we're all so captivated by looking at, you know, footage of these protests that are shot on phones that like are always like constantly like trying to like zoom in on what's relevant or like whipping around frantically trying to get like as much of the action as possible so in this instance like in the very beginning of this episode like that kind of like raw style documentary realism like really brings me back to like you know the day before just like scrolling through twitter and seeing all these like really crazy interactions Uh, going on (laughs) um twitter yeah and then we also have We also have like a really great um, moment of foreshadowing uh, toward like I believe at the end of the episode where Prez um, hears a call that Wallace makes to Poot about him like kind of being bored with being stuck at grandma's house and that he wants to like come back and he's going to get back to Baltimore as soon as possible. He marks it as non-pertinent and the kind of waves that he's listening that he's like watching as he like is listening in on the call fades into uh the heart rate monitor into into kima's hospital bedroom so it's just (laughs) i mean what's what's that called is that called like a dissolve dissolve, like a dissolve from the from the sound waves into kima's heart rate monitor that was clean it's pretty clean and it's pretty powerful and it's like when you're watching this for a second time knowing that wallace is getting is going to get killed in the next episode it does it makes it so clear that they were like signaling in that instance uh yeah. Wallace's fate. So that's crazy, man. Yeah. Um but I know great, you great points there. I know you had some uh uh well before we get into like stuff literally from all the pieces matter, which you know, it's a great uh great little great name for this uh segment. <laughs> uh you know, ties in directly there, but I was just going to talk about uh, Savino's character. I know that he's you know prominently featured in the scene with Levy, and he's obviously last episode at the forefront of the uh, drug deal gone awry, um, or you know murder plot that you know was intended all along. And I had mentioned a little bit about his uh, the name uh inspirations which maybe would have been great for wire universe this episode willie but like i said i mean we made the switch so we're playing the long game with all this all these points that are going to come up throughout throughout the remainder of these episodes but uh he's played by chris clanton uh at the time but now chris clanton senior um so i guess congrats on the uh the kid uh, that you had and you know named after yourself chris clanton but uh uh pretty interesting guy i think also a local guy for sure if you could tell you know the accent is such starkly you know and the few lines he does have you could definitely tell the authentic authenticity like even just when he mentions like i can do the three no problem or whatever however he delivers it just so yeah it's like, like the ooh, and, like the ooh yeah, and do the, is like elongated yeah yeah i don't want to I always like hesitate to uh, try to imp- impersonate the uh, 
that accent, but or like you know, give the impression. But definitely, yeah. If anyone follows the whole Baltimore, uh, whatever accent or whatever you want to call it, it's definitely prominent. And you can tell, you know, Prop Joe's got it. Even Michael K. Williams tries as Omar, of course. But it's like sometimes I would always not to go on a little rant here about the accents, but that was one of the things. I'd always talk about like, oh man, you know, I wish, I wish everyone, or, you know, as I learn more about the authentic Baltimore accent with the, with the ooze and the, you know, that kind of thing, I was always like, man, it's like, uh, okay, you know, it's so real, realistic, but a lot of people are like, I guess everyone's just from New York or something like that, you know, because it's like Stringer, everyone's like, oh yeah, Idris Elba, he's such a great, uh, you know, American, you know, accent or, but it's just like, you know, the default, I guess, if you're learning from you know, certain bits of culture that's, you know, especially on the East Coast, obviously in New York, but I digress here. Uh, he's, you know, apparently, how old do you think he was at this time? How old do you think, how old do you think he's supposed to be? And how old do you think like Chris Clanton actually was at this moment in time? Because I was a little surprised. Uh, I'm guessing like 19. I don't know. If I did my math correctly, 16, he was 16. I'm like, damn, man, I guess I don't I mean, it's just some people mature differently or maybe the environment he grew up in. He just so like authentic in that role, like maybe he's not even acting, but I don't know too much about his background. But if I because I read a news article, a Baltimore Sun article um, recently, and if yeah, he was um, yeah, he was 33 in 2019. So but if I did the math correctly, uh, but uh, he, yeah, he had been involved in some pretty crazy events around Baltimore. Well, not really that. I mean, he, he essentially in that article was talking about how he basically was under arrest, but in the hospital, uh, I guess he had violated a protective order and then the police or whoever, like when he was in custody, had, had when he was in custody, had been transported to the hospital, but he essentially just walked out and escaped even though he claims he just you know it's like he almost did a Bodhi out of boys village or something but maybe without a disguise and then started posting about on facebook and he was i guess they say on the run or escaped for five days but he just turned himself in but it was something domestic about his son or it seemed pretty emotional so i don't want to like make fun of it yeah so he was involved in that and that was kind of a headline especially out in baltimore but he also um i think not possibly while he, yeah, during the process of, yeah, the wire. I mean, he got arrested in 2006, which obviously wired didn't end until 08. So uh, he got arrested on drug charges, drug dealing or manufacturing charges, but he got a suspended sentence. So I guess he got gotten like a five year sentence, but it got reduced to like probation or, I mean, I'll get the facts straight and maybe cut some of this out, but. It's kind of interesting, uh, you know, given his character and this scene, especially it was like, oh, wait, actually, just four years later, he got a similar. I mean, I wonder if he <laughs> I wonder if like he was just like, yeah, I could do the five years, but he he's a little too in character. Yeah, I don't know what's up with that, but not the first actor that we'll see, you know, get involved. I don't know while filming, though, like while because he appears in all. Yeah, he gets killed, right? In fi season five, finally. So he was still on uh, on the show, technically. And then uh, he also got stabbed, I think, I think in 08. So at a party uh, up in the ca out in the county. 
So he survived that, thankfully. But he got stabbed twice, like in the buttocks and the chest. So pretty serious stuff. Uh, so interesting, interesting guy. But, you know, he said he's doing well as of 2019 or he's, you know, improving, trying to, I guess, what happened with the stabbing was kind of just by chance at a party. It wasn't like he was involved in any real altercation, just kind of got caught in the melee. But then he also had a credit for the Human Centipede 3. Uh, the final sequence. Yeah, I feel, which I haven't. I don't know anything about. I don't. I've never seen those movies. Uh, yeah, anything that, to offer us? I haven't <laughs> seen those movies either. Just like you know, from hearing the the premise, I've always like thought like, ah, eh, you know, that might not be something I want to yeah. spend my time with. Well, <laughs> but like, that, I office. mean, I've heard from lots of people that say those movies are great, and I'm sure they are. I just have to like make sure. I don't have any food or drink around while I'm watching it, so I don't get completely <laughs> turned off by what's happening on the screen. I'm sure they're really well-made horror movies that I I should check out. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I read. I think in, when I was researching, I uh, came across that they're Dutch, but English language, or there's some sort of Dutch, uh, you know, filmmaking team behind the scenes. So I'm like. I know how they, I know how they roll. Those Dutch, those, those freaky deaky Dutch, man. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so I guess box office, it, I don't know if I misread it, but it said like something around 16,000 or less. It did in the, like, does that make sense? Human Centipede 3? Like, weren't those pretty big movies? Or maybe this was a final sequence isn't the exact third movie it's like a offshoot of the third movie i don't know anyways get let's get <laughs> thanks for bearing with me uh willie and everyone about uh you know chris clan who does a brilliant job in my opinion portraying sabino but yeah pretty crazy this the 16th thing got me i was like damn but uh uh yeah this from all the pieces matter now about you know all the pieces matter um well, obviously a super emotional scene and kind of a crazy backstory behind Dominic West's uh, attempts to get into character or, you know, portray the emotion. He felt like he had to cry. So he had spent a whole day prior thinking about dead babies and all the gloomiest things he could muster. Uh, but I guess while, or as reported, or, you know, the brilliant work by Jonathan Abrams, uh, uh, others involved in, in the shooting of, you know, this episode, other actors had said that, uh, Frankie Faison, who's was known to be one of the funnier cast members, uh, was, you know, as Mc, as, you know, McNulty, Dominic West is getting, getting worked up to cry and, you know, covered in blood. He's, he's saying something along the lines of, you know, what, you know, what if Kima's dead or she's dying, you know, would it be inappropriate? Uh, for us all to start dancing and like I guess you know he's saying this out loud or in the vicinity of Dominic West and he's like oh yeah it's like I, I he ruined basically my my attempts in some ways of keeping a straight face and I'm trying to hold back laughter as well as you know other people gave their accounts that they were feeling this way too so uh pretty good. <laughs> I mean I, I mean I could totally see it right he's I mean he's a brilliant actor as Burrell so uh, Pretty crazy stuff there. But uh, also just, I guess, uh, Steve Schill, since I uh, often don't have much to contribute to, you know, director talk. I'm always like 
learning for the first time uh, who the director was and talking to you most of the time, right? Even though it's the last credit before each episode begins. I've been trying to do better, Willie, but, you know, I always appreciate your insights. Maybe you've like spoiled me with that. So, but I got to, you know, keep my eyes out for myself. But I guess he was uh, really impressed by John Doman, who's, or Doman, I don't know how to say it. Uh, Bill, yeah, Bill Rawls, John Doman, right? How, uh, you know, the presence he commanded and how he felt like he was really making his life easy as director. Like, and John Doman being the alpha, I guess he has a, uh, or he had a background as a, in military and also as an ad man. So yeah, I'd read that. That was interesting. Yeah. I mean, you could definitely read it in his body language for sure, but, uh, this kind of also interesting given Rawls's character arc. Right? Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, this is also like the rare scene in the show where we see Rawls kind of like acting sympathetically. Like, first of all, he shows up to the crime scene and he knows how to like cut through the bullshit and he like gets rid of like anybody who's unnecessary there. Which kind of like goes in line with his, you know, like, let's keep everything like efficient and like convenient and, you know, uh, you know, corners where, where we can. But then like he is also like consoling Jimmy, like back in the hospital, which is totally like out of character for him up to this point. Like he's still saying like, oh, I fucking hate your guts and you're worthless. But, you know, you're not the one who got Kima killed. It's not your fault. Like, and he's... Yeah, this is not about you. Yeah, he's, like, trying to get him up. Um, and he even, like, is, you know, one of the voices who's, like, trying to get them to stop playing the tape because he knows how upsetting it is for everybody. So, yeah, really showing yeah. off his range in this episode, I feel like. All while still exactly. maintaining that, like, steely exterior. But this kind of actually will segue us into our next little uh, segment here. Uh, it's about the train train depot or the train tracks where the, a lot of the opening scenes were filmed. And Delaney Williams was discussing how difficult it was to nail down all the shots because uh, when a new train would come in every 30 minutes or so or whatever the schedule was, they would kind of have to wait as to not uh, have a, a different uh you know, background or different train in, in the shots as far as, you know, continuity, uh, you know, right. goes. The perils of shooting on, on location instead of a studio, right? Which to me, I mean, I, I can't imagine how challenging that must be, but the amount of detail, you know, something like that would entail as far as, you know, the discipline of making sure everything looks the same and stays even. It it kind of uh, leads me to wonder as to why all of this geography makes no sense. <laughs> it's like, so you'll go through all of that uh, to make sure the train, you know, cars match up. But, uh, you know, we'll just make up like some uh, intersection here, which is in the opening or yeah, in the opening scene at the tail end where Rawls uh, kind of you know, symbolically changes the, the street sign um, to, to reflect, you know, where they actually are located on North Warwick and Longwood. Uh, so this ties into a lot of, you know, what we're going to talk about here. And what are we deciding to call this? Geo uh, breakdown or geo genius geo, or whatever? Yeah, geo genius. I don't know. Okay, geo genius. 
Yeah, we can roll, we can roll with it. Uh, definitely not uh, not something that Simon or Steve Schill or Ed Burns were trying to uh, embody in this episode, no. even in last. Ooh. Harsh words. Well, okay. I mean, you know how this, you know, this kind of, this is, you still there? Uh, yeah, sorry. Oh. That freaked me out. Don't do that. Really, <laughs> just change up the screen to just like you're like, oh, look at you're so into this geo. Why don't you just talk to yourself about it? I'll I'll hide my screen. <laughs> that was an accident. Anyway, so you actually sent this to me uh, prior to to watch or yeah, to, prior to me watching this episode and us talking about it here. It's in is it was this under goofs or on the IMDb where someone pointed out that. Longwood and Warwick are referenced in episode past, and in this episode, it's finally um, uncovered or it's displayed. You know, the, the street sign, you know, the physical street sign, as I've just mentioned, is changed uh, to reflect its correct coordinate or the correct intersection uh, by Rawls. As you know, we had talked about in the last episode, the hoppers mess with things, brought up Orlando. Uh, that you know they don't actually intersect, right? Right. And yeah. That, that was that was brought up in the uh, in the goop. Is that is that the correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Section of it's the tri- well, it's the trivia section, trivia. but it could very well oh. easily be a goof. Because well. I'm saying we can start our own geographical goofs or blunders if you want, because this isn't the first time that uh, you've heard it here. You know that there's definitely been some geographical lapses i mean i think uh, that goes with the territory with filming like anything <laughs> like it, so, whether or not you film on location because you're just gonna have to you yeah, know kind of adapt or, yeah and fudge them some things in order to be but, flexible and you know it, yeah. it, it logistically if they if you can't get permit for filming permits for filming in certain locations and whatnot you're gonna have to like improvise and fake things around yeah but I mean, that's a great point, and you know, I guess give some leeway. Um, but I mean, I think the main point we're trying to make here is that we're this was brought up by us last episode, so we're a step ahead of the I, I, IMDb fact check page. So you know, hey, why not? If you ever need, if you ever have any questions or doubts, just just you know, turn us on. You don't always need to go to IMDb, but um, yeah, so. Definitely four blocks away, Warwick and um, Longwood on the, on the west side. Uh, but yeah, just the whole thing surrounding the investigation and their venturing, like venturing onto the railroad tracks where Landsman is out of the office for one of the first times, uh, super active, you know, getting, getting down to it, following the prints to the railroad track, which... I mean, in my opinion, it adds a super like eerie vibe and really suspenseful. Yeah, uh, just yeah, some old-fashioned detective yeah. tropes working out to the advantage of this episode. Yeah, so I mean, but you know, I know, like, of course, I take into account everything you said about like permits and all the nuances <laughs> that go into these things that I'm, you know, not really aware of. Uh, but I mean. You, uh, I'm still going to rip it apart as, you know, as, as much as I see fit. So, so basically these railroad tracks that they keep referencing, um, definitely, uh, they don't line up at all with, you know, where Warwick, Warwick is, work is situated, especially in the context of what, 
bunk, the information bunk and Norris are, um, are, you know, say, like for example, bunk on the radio is saying that I'm in the 3000 block of landville at the CSX bed, which I looked up a CSX is apparently some sort of, uh, like a railroad car or maybe it's like a tanker or something, um, that they transport liquids in, but yeah, so 3000 block of landville, which actually is, that's an East West street that, uh, it does actually intersect with Warwick, which is a north south street, but it's on the it's it's on the complete uh, western end of Landville, almost yeah, headed towards Edmondson Village, which is the opposite way of where the railroad tracks actually dissect uh, West Baltimore. And then Norris says to to Daniels um, something about their like their laps in covering Kima and like how he was on Baker street when he heard the shots on the radio. Um, and you know, and he says you had the East well covered and, um, to the West is the rail bed, which is actually the opposite. The rail bed travels, you know, more East of, of where they were trying to depict here on Warwick. Um, so I just, you know, found those little inconsistencies interesting, kind of <laughs> got me motivated to get up today. Like, how, yeah, I'm going to go in on these, this inconsistency regarding this, this railroad scene, because I think it's, a, it's the same. It has, there's only one set of you know, tracks that go through West Baltimore, really. And I think what they did is they just used the filming area. They, they, uh, they have uh, Bunk and McNulty drink at a lot. Right. So, yeah, they're totally headed. They're totally headed west when they should be going back east into West Baltimore to follow these these train tracks. So I just found that little bit of uh, yeah, found that interesting. Interesting that, or enraging? <laughs> yeah, I found it more enraging. <laughs> I for one because, did not. Yeah, I know, man. It's I mean, again, you, you're giving them the leeway, like oh, you know they. But like, okay, as if if that's the reason, and I totally understand, like, you know, that this is like probably the most authentic show or one of the most authentic shows as far as like incorporating the city as a character. And it's really, you know, everything's grounded in Baltimore. It's all things Baltimore. But at some certain points, it's like, okay, why couldn't Bunk have just said I'm in the 2200 block of Landville, which is actually the b- portion of Landville that... <sighs> is near Warwick and the railroad tracks. Like, does that have, that doesn't really have to do anything with, you know, like, uh, efficiency as far as filming is concerned. Right. Right. Yeah. You could easily throw that, that block out. Cause I mean, come on, 3000, 2200. That's like, that's, that's a lot of block that uh, a lot of blocks he's like leaving out. All you had to do is just, hey, I'm in the 2000 block of Landville. And there you go. People like me are not enraged. So this whole thing of, uh, you know, as we discussed, Lester and his brilliant use of the wire, uh, you know, having that discipline to go directly back to the office instead of, you know, kind of menacing around with Carver and Sidner and Herc, who's, I guess, just shown up from his uh, sensitivity training or whatnot to, to be the badass. Uh, you know, they, they trace it to Park Heights and Belvedere, the payphone where little man dropped the slice and whatnot. And in, I think in the initial meeting, uh, Landsman's like, oh, how are they, you know, are these, who are we dealing with? Um, you know, are these like stick up guys, like some kids who lucked into 30 grand or professionals who parked on the opposite side of the tracks and then, you know, escaped, you know, did their shooting and escaped. 
And he's like, and then we have him, you know, minutes later or whatever, after he learns information, Lester tells him, you know, making this call. And I was about to go off on that, too, because I did some tracking. And if indeed, you know, the coordinates bunk gave 3000 block of Landville to Park Heights and Belvedere. Minutes is maybe a little bit of an understatement. When when you hear someone say minutes, what are you thinking? Because I'm thinking like eight minutes, five minutes, you know, like short distance. Yeah. Is that? Yeah, like three to it, five minutes. Yeah, it's a, it's at least 4.4 miles to Park Heights and Belvedere from 3000 block of Landville where, you know, Bunk mentioned. And that's about 14, 15 minute drive. Um, so, but then... Later on, someone mentions, I think, I don't know if it was Daniels, that, you know, 20 minutes later, they got the call on the wire. So that that makes a lot more sense. But realistically speaking, if it was from the 2200 block of Landville to Park Heights and Belvedere, I'm just, I didn't track that. But it'd be longer. <laughs> it'd be much longer than 14 minutes, eh, like 20, 25. Uh, but again, they would have to shoot. Remember, Weebe has a bum leg because, he, like, he's been shot. They'd have to, and little man is like not the most fit guy. So, you know, I'd say it'd take him at least like a couple minutes to get from the shooting uh, scene, scene of the shooting to the car and then drive. So, like, I mean, I'd add on at least five minutes just for, you know, getting into the car, dumping their sweaters, all that stuff. So, that timeline, I don't know. It's, a, it's not as enraging as the other things, but. Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, okay, here's another thing. Um, this is something that, well, you'll let me know. You'll let me know about it here. Uh, last episode, while Kima's giving her 20s, um, she's saying, you know, I'm, in, I'm on Warwick and, uh, you know, Longwood, yada, yada. I'm confused. I had mentioned, like, in my quest to, you know become a geogenius which you have apparently annoyed me with this title <laughs> of the segment so i'm appreciate it also i used to play those national geographic uh, trivia pieces that would come with each edition of the magazine yes my family you know used to get a subs- you know used to maybe someone gifted it to our family like a uh, year subscription of nat geo but it would come in the package, like, uh, you know, the five questions and each answer would be upside down in fine print. So, you, you, I mean, you could cheat if you wanted to, but yeah, you know, we'd take the little test, like, are you a geogenius? And yeah, I did okay most of the time. So I remember. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe there's other examples. But anyways, I was saying that I feel like a hack often, or I may be perceived as such because although I may know some things about Baltimore's geography, I may be mispronouncing specific names super incorrectly which <laughs> might take away some credibility like i was mentioning that uh uh wiggins the the uh you know the undercover who bust orlando taught me the how to say the county south of baltimore arundel arundel right? which i thought yeah. was arundel so <laughs> i'm glad i never said that before i learned it so learning to try to keep my mouth shut's key here but i was saying like Oh, you know, she's on Warwick, uh, which is, you know, a street that I'm familiar with. And I was saying, I've always thought it's, you know, Warwick, like how it's how it's spelled. And she's saying Warwick. And I'm like, dang, this is another example, like undermining my credibility by mispronouncing something locals who might be listening are just laughing at. Like this fool thinks that it, you know, Warwick. It's like when I moved here and I would say Kahanga or something. And then they'd laugh at me like. Or I would say uh, it, I'd say Sepulveda instead of Sepulveda. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good, great example. But 
I wasn't giving myself enough credit, Willie, because I did have a little conspiracy I neglected to share the last episode, which I'm really happy I actually forgot about. Uh, it's really serendipitous that it ties in now because uh, Sonia's son, by the way, I hope I'm like, I hope this whole bit isn't undermined by me mispronouncing her name. I'm pretty sure it's Sonia. I've always like listened very sharply. Like, is it, is it Sonia? And I'm misunderstanding it. I'm, so I'm, I'm going to go with Sonia. Yeah. Um, she, like I made, I mentioned in episode one, like her background and kind of had a, uh, you know, she had some disagreements on David Simon's takes of like inner city life and such and such. She grew up in Newport News. Virginia, um, maybe also a little uh, coincidence that Daniels or someone mentioned her family's coming up from Richmond, also in Virginia. So I don't know what that's about. Kima's family from Virginia as well. Sonia's son from Virginia. Um, but she graduated from Warwick High School. So I did a little digging and I found an uh, old football game uh, played in uh, Virginia to see if maybe it was just a local thing um, and that that is how it is indeed pronounced down in Virginia. And the, the announcer confirmed that and said, we're here to watch Warwick High School take wow. on their arrival. So I realized that it, it's indeed Sonia's son's interpretation of Warwick. She's saying it like as, you know, and she would pronounce her hometown as opposed to how locals would pronounce Warwick in Baltimore because all the cops like, or everyone's calling it Warwick, you know, in this in this episode. So kind of confirmed that maybe I am on track to to get my GeoGenius belt here. Yeah, there you are. Uh, so. <laughs> I think yeah, that was a good point. Good uh, uh, good points that yeah. you brought up there. But I, I got a couple more things if you can bear with me here. Yeah, of course. Um, why? Okay, so when we bay, <laughs> it's never good when it starts with. Tell me why? No. Uh, Stringer and Weebay's interaction, like we had mentioned, classic, right? Also, I found it funny. Uh, I think you were on a roll, so I didn't really want to bring it up and like interject as I often do. Apologies to you and anyone who might get frustrated by that <laughs> out there. But uh, so, um, you know, like at first, Stringer's doing kind of what uh, Weebay did to D in the first episode, where it's like, hey, like, you know the rules, like, don't start talking too much in, in this print shop. So he's like, wait a minute. And then he turns on the copier, like as if to drown out any noise, like that might be captured by a tap or something. But then they just proceed to start yelling, like, <laughs> yo, I didn't know I shot a cop. Like, I was like, okay, so what was the Little point of this Little man's fucking copier? weak like, like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, okay, like you're going to take all that time to reprimand him and then just proceed to start yelling anyways. Whatever. I don't understand that string. But hey, again, this is the same man who trusted Orlando and thought he just came up with 30 grand. So what can you say there? Lapses in judgment. Yeah, lapse in judgment. Um, And then something else. uh, I know you had brought that great point about Wallace's, uh, the the final call in that Prez, you know, kind of disregarded. And then the uh, dissolve, right, that went into uh, Kima's heart rate monitor and the brilliance behind that. but. In the in the call or previously, actually, you know, they were making fun of uh, Wallace being out there on the shore, and Bodie brought up, you know, oh, like he's probably out there surfing, and Poots like making fun of him too, like, oh, you're down on like whatever on vacation, and then Wallace brought up, no, I'm Bayside, and then I was thinking back to my description of the Eastern Shore of Maryland, 
and how I said that, you know, it's like across from Baltimore, you know, out to the, um, to the east of that mainland area of Maryland, um, you know, still connected, but, uh, you know, a lot of it facing the Chesapeake Bay and how it's bordered by Delaware to the east beyond that. But there is definitely a portion um, that goes all the way down and, you know, passes Delaware and a part of Maryland then does connect to the Atlantic, like Ocean City. So maybe in the context, I wasn't completely misleading, but I just wanted to clear it up that, yes, I am aware that the Eastern Shore, you know, touches both. So I got big, big geo boots to feel now that you're anointing this even though i, I totally no brought up what is this called geogenius like uh we should go back and redo that to where like all right now willie's introducing the new segment no uh anyways uh yeah i think that's uh that's about it for uh geo uh geo breakdowns and geo stuff for this episode but i'm glad we're kind of breaking this up into its own little segment here so i'm not afraid to attack yeah you know each each and every esoteric location that we had advertised just get it all out in one just in get one it all go. Out. yeah because there's times where i look back i'm like man no hard anthony he uh went up to randallstown to the jeweler you know and he he didn't want to do the the time for robbing that and that's why he's up in you know he's uh, jessup or yeah it's like or maybe hagerstown shoot but uh, see, I'm messing up. But it's like, no, nah, no, nah, I won't go into all that. We'll got to keep the, the, the flow, you know. But now it's like, mm, there's no excuse. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I have free range to be enraged. But yeah, I can't believe, I mean, I can't believe all those. Just to sum up this whole geo segment, obviously all my rage and focus was on that initial scene and the investigation, which I knew didn't add up last episode. And um. Yeah, it's just like, I can't believe you're giving them that out, but I understand you don't want to be too <laughs> I mean, it literally, like... How does that I, make you I, feel? Are, I, you, are you like, ah. I consider myself like a layman or a casual viewer compared to you when it comes to the accuracy of stuff like this. So it literally has no, it has no <laughs> consequence, like it has no... Uh, uh, it makes no difference in my enjoyment of the episode whatsoever, but it's, it's always yeah. really like informative and entertaining for you to like, you know, break all this stuff yeah. down. Well, thank you. I mean, no, it, it told, it's, it's something somewhat new, not my love of geography and always wanting to get into all that, but I've never really considered it in previous watches. Uh, I mean, you know, I would open a map or get on Google maps back in the day, but I've never actually, this is the first time I've noticed any inconsistencies in the show. And I'm maybe a little, not conflicted, but it's like something that I've revered as, wow, this is like, you know, I'm like, this is so Baltimore. This is, I've never been there. I want to go someday. But now it's like, what are they doing to me, man? It, have I crossed the threshold of watching it too many times now? Or I've watched it enough now that I can be critical yet still retain my love of the show. So, you know, it's, it, you know, it doesn't detract from my overall enjoyment but it's it is it's added a whole new layer of fun to to rewatching it that i never anticipated so i appreciate you giving me this uh platform and like interest your interests uh even though if you might you might be checking twitter but i don't know no. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not <laughs> oh yeah 
Yeah, but someday, some, I, I guarantee hey, anyone out there who, I mean, someone posted that in the trivia, right? That they don't actually intersect uh, Longwood. And, and Longwood, I didn't even mention, turns into merges with Poplar Grove the farther south you go. So up on North Avenue, where this all kind of started, um, Bradish and North, where the cut rate was, they picked up Sabino and uh, the cost last episode, episode 10. Uh, up north, yeah, there's like a but there's I think five streets in between uh, Longwood and Warwick, and then it actually Longwood kind of intersects with Poplar Grove in a weird way, and it just kind of like yeah, just merges into one. So Longwood might not even ex- I mean exist at the point of reference. There's just more and more layers. It might be Poplar Grove, or I don't even know anymore. It's all kind of confusing, but. I hope I laid it out there to anyone who might be interested in these as well. But thanks, Willie. Well, I'll just maybe we're also piloting a uh, like something I never noticed or forgot oh, yeah, completely yeah. little segment. Uh, you know, maybe this will be a way to be like 100% honest and, and not like for me, I got to maybe do a better job of bringing up things that I really forgot about or didn't understand or noticed the first time or first several times I watched this and not try to act like, oh, yeah, I knew all along. I knew all along because there's still things that confuse me or like that come out of left field where I'm like, wait, what? Oh, 100%. Like, uh, like uh, Phelan's uh, little political mixer that, that McNulty just crashes to try to you know use yet another person i i totally yeah i didn't remember the scene at all where uh you know phelan's basically like i'm i'm out jimmy you know is this is this kind of this is essentially the the direction the scene goes right where jimmy's suspicious you know his intentions at this point and that he yeah basically kind of sold out on the wire to to rejoin the, the ticket is that is, am i analyzing that correctly yeah it's just politics right isn't it <laughs> yeah it's basically i so, mean i mean yeah, just, tries to make some excuse for as to why like you know they, yeah, they took him off yeah but yeah they both know the real story this is when jimmy is trying to like go to phelan to get some more uh uh, power from him to what it, he says, rip Burrell a new one or something like that. Yeah, which Balin has done, but it kind of yeah, it really uh, sheds light onto how how drastic you know his prior comments about the wire to Burrell or when he felt like the big man he was for for getting Jimmy what he wanted and the ramifications of that in this in this instance. Yeah, where he's trying to pull some like racial thing, like oh, they just needed a uh, better like black to white ratio or something like that. And Jimmy's like, nah, nah. Uh, we all know, but hey, good stuff. So yeah, I don't know, man. I think that's about it. I had had the whole Ronnie Perlman thing like in there too, but we had talked about it. So I don't know. Maybe this section will live or it'll just be included also enveloped by other things yeah and also shout out to uh master ace uh who did the song unfriendly game featuring strick which is the song that's playing in the car when uh we bay is driving d'angelo around and then also uh sugar in my bowl by nina simone is the song that plays when cheryl is sitting alone at home so just a quick shout out to those uh, music credits there. 
Yeah, we're going to, I mean, you are resident music expert. So, hey, I learned a lot, you know, from your takes on music and you've taught me a lot about like real, real good hip hop. By the way, I'm, I still haven't listened to Nas, so I'll get to it. Oh, uh, yeah. But, uh, new Nas. Yeah. King's Disease is a pretty good album. I bet, man. But anyways, all right. Well, I think that uh, wraps up our show here. So, you know, we hope you all enjoyed that. Yeah. Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, again, if you want to follow us on any social media, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Got lots of great content coming out. Um, thanks to Willie for, for manning that uh, aspect of things as I get my chops up and, you know get it together there but also yeah please if you if you'd like to get in touch with us regarding anything uh anything you've noticed or heard that uh you know you maybe want more insight on or maybe if you have some goofs uh you know to point out in our show please do so we're we're at the gods will not save you at gmail.com uh yeah and if you again if you want to support us be sure to visit uh anchor.fm slash the gods will not save you slash support um and that'll provide you to all the donation links you can use to help us out with all this yeah thank you for those supporting us we really appreciate it and uh if you're feeling generous don't hesitate uh we you know appreciate everything also thank you to our guy mostart very generous in his uh uh support of, of our show here by providing us with some great uh, original music for our intro and outro please check him out on his site mostart.com yeah really good stuff there yeah great stuff by mostart and also again Thank you to Andre Tesnis for the design of our logo. Really great graphic design artist we got on our team here. Yes, thank you, Andre. Very talented artist, so appreciate it, bud. Mm-hmm.